Hello and welcome back to Two Peas in a Podcast, the podcast that's two part peas, one part pod, and all parts figuring it out. I'm Ariane. And I'm Maisie. I'm also here. Hello. And we are here to introduce you to a new week uh, in the pod. Maisie, speaking of, how was your week? My week has been um, chock full of ups and downs. Um, Last weekend, I went home to L.A., which is why there was no podcast. No, everybody was really disappointed. So sorry to do that to you. Um, sorry, everyone. But um, this week, I, I feel like classes were chaotic and just like the time was really slow. But then I found a new artist on NPR's Tiny Desk <laughs> that I really, really am in love with. Please so explain. Yeah, so I found a limited edition Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> um, his name is Tamino. And he's, um, he's like a new indie artist, I guess. And his like music is very sad. He's a, the biggest sad boy. Um, but he's, it, he's big. It's, I wouldn't call his music sad as I would call it melancholy. Which you're I think right. Different. You're right. It is melancholy. I don't think sad fully. It just doesn't sum it up. It doesn't. Yeah. He's too nuanced. He's so brave. <laughs> <laughs> I... It took me, like, two seconds to fall in love with him. Yeah. And now I'm going to spend my entire life trying to hunt him down. So get ready. Well, don't worry. I hope he never finds this podcast. <laughs> As we've already determined, everybody we talk about on the pod listens to the pod. I to forgot. That's, why, that's how Joe and I are best friends yeah, now. Yeah, and all five of your friends from CNCO. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Check out my review. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how the pod works. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I have to say, uh, just for your information, listeners, Maisie also introduced me to this young man, and I too am not only obsessed with him, I'm also straight now. Um, sorry, Christina, that is my long-term partner, uh, who is a woman. Um, I just fell in love with this man, I'm straight now, and there's really, I don't think, any going back from this point. Um, I saw him do his Tiny Desk concert when Maisie sent it to me. It took me a little bit longer to fall for him. There was some convincing involved. There was. It, it was really frustrating, too, because I was, as we know, we are two peas in a podcast. Yeah. So when she said that she didn't know that she thought his voice was good, yeah. I was like, no. <laughs> like, that really affects me. It did. And it affected me when I said it. I thought to myself, well, well, that can't be right. That can't be right. Let's reevaluate. Let's listen one more time. And then I did. And then I did again and again and again and again. Yeah. You listen to the wrong first song. For listen, anybody who's yes. interested, the first song to listen to is Habibi. Habibi. And it has to be in the Tiny Desk concert. The Tiny... Because seeing him mm-hmm. hit those notes, it's like, I don't playing. believe it. Yeah, I don't... It was clean. It was... Point. But uh, honestly, Tiny Desk's audio quality is always and forever off the charts. So it's not a surprise to me that like the guitar and the piano were so clean. It was crisp. It was fresh. But I still heard it and watched it. And the two, like the visual and sonic elements coalesced in a way that I wasn't prepared for. I'm going to be honest. I do think that I discovered Tiny Desk in the past couple of weeks. And I feel like I keep bringing it up to people like here's this new thing and everybody is like we've been 
here for this for so long. Yeah. We've already seen all of that. Yeah. This tiny desk that we're talking about is from July. It is. Like, it's not it a old. recent thing. I, 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 see, tiny desk has been in my sphere of knowledge. I don't frequent them because they stress me out. I always fall in love with the person that's up there. I saw Mitski's tiny desk and it sent me into an existential crisis. Um, Hosey boys, Hosier, for those who are not familiar with my exclusive nickname for Hosier. Hosey boys, tiny desk is also just as stressful for me. So I try to stay away from them. But every once in a while, someone's like, oh, tiny desk. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I just fall down a hole and we'll watch like eight of them it's straight. a really dangerous hole yeah. for me to fall down because it's gonna get me fired because I'm not allowed to listen to it while I'm at work but I do <laughs> why because you're not allowed to be playing things on the computer <laughs> but I'm like constantly doing it because I just can't stop I have no respect for authority and well I just think that the way that the world is going I think that is the disposition to have <laughs> towards authoritative figures particularly those within capitalist structures like employment um, that is a joke. Is Tamino also the only thing that happened to you this week, or did other things happen? I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't remember. I don't remember what else happened That's... to me this week, because Tamino happened to me this week. Yeah, you're famous for that. I think so. Slagging out <laughs> at the end of the week and just be like, I don't remember. I don't remember what happened. Um, I did, this week was good. This week was, I think, I agree, it was quite chaotic. We're still playing catch-up after the power outages, which, <laughs> surprise, are happening again. Um... I'm so, over it. I'm. I think I'm done. I'll be the first to say it. I'm done with it. <laughs> and you are. You are the first to say it. I don't think anybody's expressed this before. It's new. It's new. Um. It's been a time. I. It's a lot of catching up. I feel like I'm catching up, and I'm doing my best to catch up, and that's fine. That's where I'm at. I've made peace with being behind. <laughs> that's really morbid. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> we would like to introduce our guest. Yes, the first guest in Peapod history, yes. our one, Take this our down in only, your notes. <laughs> editor of the Arts and Entertainment Department for the Daily Californian, Anaga Kumar-Giri. Ah! Hello. Thanks oh. for having me in the pod, on the pod, at my kitchen table. Yes. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having us in the pod, on the pod, at your kitchen table. <laughs> yes, this is, a, this is a great new this locale. This is the first time for all of us. It is. There's a first time for everything. Anika doesn't know that we're going to host it here every week. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> don't tell her. But yeah, again, can we please keep that within the pod I don't, community? you guys have such big mouths. Literally stop <laughs> sharing our secrets. I just, I don't it's know It's not like we're giving them out to the public I've asked you podcast. very nicely every week. We brought it just... up. We bring it up every week. <laughs> How has your your week been? been? (laughs) How has my week been? Um, A couple of things. I recently discovered, I don't think this was this week. I think it might have been the week before. But the Jones Brothers had a Tiny Desk concert. And it was great. It was fun. They did have a Tiny Desk concert. I love Tiny Desk concerts. I've been a, a stand for the ages. And the this band that I love with my whole heart, happened to be on the tiny desk, at the tiny desk this week. <laughs> this they, week? Maybe it was the week before. But they just I think did the one before. recently. They did they one did... recently. Yeah. Okay, Yeah, Joe it Bros. was recent. And they it was really cute. They, like, took the little objects at the desk and, like, incorporated them into their music. It was, Those it was guys. just a good time. Those, Those boys. I needed to be known <laughs> that Anaga's love for the Jonas Brothers is not news. 
uh, if you follow the Arts Department at all, you will go on to our website. You will look for the Jonas Brothers. You will find the piece written by the lovely Kate. Tiny, <laughs> and you will see the photograph that was taken by, by the me. lovely Annika. Um, Can you tell that story? Yeah, with my minimal photography experience, I had the audacity to go to this concert. The audacity. Um, the audacity. All I wanted this entire semester was to use the privilege I have in this position to go see the Jonas Brothers. Um, but I also felt bad sacrificing that pitch. Um, not sacrificing it, but, but taking it for myself. And instead, I decided to go photograph the concert instead of write about it. I feel like there's always one, though. Like, as, yeah. like, going into an editorship We're for a something. semester, you... I hate... Like, I've had... I'm going to be anonymous here, but I've had multiple writers be, like, annoyed that I've taken pitches, and I'm like, huh? Like, this I'm is your what editor. This is I the least so I can get. Time. Like, yeah, I do this job for free. Yeah, yeah. Like, Jonas Brothers, the Jonas Brothers was my... That was my, I had to. It was my one reward. It was yeah. my one compensation. Beautiful boy was my assistant, like, grab. Yeah. That was my Just, comp- like, the movie? Yeah. Just, like, to review the movie? Well, because I wanted to interview the, the original <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. The actual That's Timothy right. Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet 1.0. Because I thought I could make him fall in love with me. I that still was maintain whole, that that's possible. That was the whole thing. I thought I was going to interview him in, like, a round table and, like, impress him with my intellect. Yeah. And then he was going to, like start dating me yeah that was he was gonna ask me out to dinner and then and the only reason it didn't happen is because he's dating lily rose depp the only reason reason reason. we didn't get the interview i think if you learn french but i think that happened because because i think it's all lily rose i I think if you learn french your chance of of this happening will go up exponentially i really do italian i see i know that one kind of and i don't think it's helping Mm. I think if I learned French, I think it's, French. Yeah. I think I think it's a prerequisite my, yeah. to being able to like, date Timothy Chalamet. Well, I have to with say, all I'm due not an respect, with all due respect to Lily Rose Depp, who I'm sure is a wonderful person, I'm sure that their relationship is totally organic because it's not my place to judge. Yeah, but I do think that it's because she's French. Yeah, I think so. that too. But I also don't. I don't doubt that her cheekbones had something to do with it. <laughs> They're so the high. The power they hold. It's fake. They look I. Mean, they stress me out. She looks like. Uh, she has My cheekbones implants. are concave, so I wish that. <laughs> that's I'm, I'm not to true. Say that's a hard disagree from the pod. Um, I'm looking at and Maisie right now. This is the now. last time we ever had a podcast. I guess the, I guess the podcast is canceled. canceled. <laughs> Suddenly, Ariana and Maisie were not two peas in a pod. On the subject of Maisie's cheekbones, which is the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of Macy's cheekbones, dot, dot, dot. Listen to find out the rest. Um, we love clickbait. Um, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Timothy, I know you're listening, and I am so sorry I have to tell you this to your face, to your ears, but I just mm. don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, I do, and so does Maisie. I really and- get it. <laughs> I really get it. He's gorgeous. He's a I'm going to hold my tongue. <laughs> That's the opposite of the point of this podcast. I don't actually know what I was going to follow that with. I use, I'm not going to, I'm going to say it. I use the term bastard man in every a facet of my life. I called a squirrel that once. I called the trash can in my house that today. <laughs> um, so 
the word that was about to slip out of my mouth was bastard man, and that is mm, rude. <laughs> you just rhetorically equated Timothy Chalamet to a trash can. I did, and that, and is I, well, that was unacceptable. <laughs> I'm, I think it's so the boy rude. can act. Listen, he's just too young. He's just a baby. Okay, but he's not too young for me. No. He's perfect. He is. I need him to know that. I need that on the record. And I need, I'll be objective about this and say, Timothy, you're not going to find a better partner than Maisie. Lily, oh. no disrespect to Lily. May I call you <laughs> Lily? <laughs> um, but Maisie is the one for Timothy. Uh, and that, yeah. that's But honestly, I don't know if I want him anymore after I found Tamino. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Maisie are fully ready to take a quick little trek up to Portland this uh, coming year to see the boy in person. Yeah, uh-huh. we're actually following him. Yeah. It's getting, it's getting chaotic. Yeah, so Tamino, just uh, look out for that. We're on our way. You're on your way. And we'll meet in Portland. Perfect. Sounds great. A lot of everything that we've just done has read a lot like some kind of like orchestrated routine. This whole conversation feels very stand-up-y to me, which I think is appropriate. Maisie, what are we talking about this week on the pod? Um, I bet you can guess. We're talking about motorcycles. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Obviously, we're talking about... <laughs> Synchronized swimming. Synchronized yeah, swimming, and motorcycles. And routine. Yeah. All of the Olympic yeah. sports we don't talk about enough. <laughs> curling. Now is the time. This is the space <laughs> to talk about curling. <laughs> no. Obviously, we are talking about stand-up comedy. Every week, I love to see how Ariane's going to try and like transition... And every week without fail, I call you out on every a transition. <laughs> like, it's week. never smooth. I try, but I'm not... Very, listen, I'm not a stand-up comedian. I don't... <laughs> I run a podcast. Barely. Where we talk about stand-up comedians. And that's where we're at. And that's, that's where, where we're, at. we're at. Yeah. So, yeah, this week we're going to be talking about stand-up comedy, how it's kind of been changing over the past few years, um, how some comedians have, like, kind of... I feel like, to me, like, stand-up comedy was never, like, this intensely popular as it is now. Like, I don't know if I would agree with that. And the only reason that I say, I, oh, no, maybe I agree. No, I agree. I think that the way, (laughs) I know, I just keep everybody on their toes, like, is this the week? Literally this entire week. No, (laughs) it's not. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I agree. Stand-up comedy is definitely in public consciousness more than it has been historically, I would say. In our lifetimes. In our lifetimes, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, like, I don't ever remember a time that, like, stand-up comedians have been on SNL as hosts, you know? Right. Like, I feel like the, or, you know had so much public like in like social media following like I feel like eyes are on stand-up comedians as celebrity now like at the same rank that like actors and actresses that are like maybe like second tier you know Mm -hmm. fame like are as well Mm -hmm. and I feel like that I I don't have never fact-checked this statement Mm -hmm. per usual (laughs) But it seems like that's kind of, like, a new thing where people and, like, maybe our generation specifically have, like, started to kind of see stand-up comedy as, like, a main source of entertainment with a main source of celebrities to follow. I think that I would agree. Because I... I love that there's constant doubt, though. I think I would agree, but I I could change my opinion at 
any moment. Like I said, we like to keep the listeners on their toes. We have so many of them. She likes to keep Maisie on her toes as yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I don't have any trepidation. The thing that I'm considering is there's also this interesting... I think this has maybe always been the case, but I think that we're seeing not only like within the structures of like SNL, but stand-up comics are occupying a large space in like TV and film in general, which is not new. That's not a new phenomenon, but I think that it's met with a lot more acclaim than it has been in the past, in the recent past, I would say. And that is an interesting development to see particularly because stand-up comedy has also become... I mean, stand-up comedy has always been political. Always. I, I have not fact-checked that statement, but I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. Um, but the way that stand-up comedy is expected to interact with the political climate is very new, I feel like, right now. I think that that field is changing a bit. There's, I, I can't say what exactly the expectation is, but there is a lot more discourse happening within <laughs> the medium of stand-up comics and mm-hmm. what they're what they're doing is interesting. Yeah. I think that people who do choose to engage with politics either at the large scale or even at the individual scale seeing individuals as political figures and addressing things that are considered political to the individual. I think if someone is quote unquote brave enough, which is a term that I I don't like to say brave just for dealing with politics, but if someone chooses to like address it in their work and incorporate it in their work, then they're definitely commended for it. But if someone chooses to get around it or to exclude politics deliberately and creatively in their work, they're also commended for it as long as they're doing so in a cognizant manner. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any stand-up special like currently coming out that's truly critically lauded and like really just everyone just like is obsessed with it or everyone just really loves it if it excludes politics altogether yeah if it's not doing so in a self-aware manner yeah 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 which I think I could say that that's interesting again and I will and I think that's interesting (laughs) um uh comedy is something that I've always struggled with a bit because like it's such a like nebulous thing like comedy it's infiltrating every sort of media out there yeah like you will have a drama but what's a drama without comedy yeah and, and so what's a comedy without a little bit of drama oh my god light Jeez. is dark dark is light <laughs> oh. we're so wise what is are you guys getting that? this are you guys writing this down i can't believe we Yet again, we've invented a new school of thought. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot we like created like a whole other academic philosophy yeah, last it. time. Like, yeah. What was it that horror movies are about capitalism? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which I hope you guys have done some work on that because we can't give you everything. We literally can't do it all. Um, but we expect full royalties. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think with comedy, it's like I've always had the confusion about why it's not more all-encompassing like I feel like when we were growing up there were a lot more movies like Hangover and Step Brothers and like the other guys and any Will Ferrell movie ever that are all very like like start to finish comedy Mm -hmm. and like the drama is very superficial 
like really easy to get around and stuff, which is like great. And like, I have loved a lot of those movies, but I like that right now, like with con with comedy and like specifically stand up comedy, it's like, I feel like these artists are starting to incorporate more like reality into it where they're not, it doesn't have to be like a hundred percent funny all the time that they can address like things that are not funny in the context of like comedy yeah. and then like bring it back. Yeah. And it's, it's all, it's much more, it feels more reflex, like reflexive than it ever has before. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. I think it's like really nice to see a lot of like, I feel like specifically younger artists start to come out and do stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, like, Jabuki, for example, Jabuki Young White is out here, and Jabuki is really funny to me because I feel like his comedy really like straddles a bunch of lines. One being overtly just absurd to the grandest level, and then also being just like really accessible, but still like he'll pepper like it's effortless. Like he'll pepper in political discourse like nothing, yeah, and then move on so rapidly like. I think that I mean like him on Trevor Noah and stuff like yeah. it's like he is multifaceted in that he can like talk about real world issues in like a critical manner but then still be able to like be like don't worry like we can still laugh like yeah. you know mm-hmm. which is like I feel like kind of what people need like especially right now when yeah. we're like kind of all like going through like a traumatic presidency yeah. and like just like chaos and power outages and stuff it's like you need to have that where it's like you don't have to be like sad all the time but like addressing that kind of stuff is important I feel like he's really good at that yeah Yeah. he's like a cool voice for our generation Mm -hmm. which he's not the voice of the generation but I also think that he's definitely like he kind of encompasses like the millennial perspective on everything that's happening and that's also why like whenever he addresses anything so casually, like any sort of like genuine political issue or hardship or experience, like he always addresses it so casually and then like yes. saunters off. That's exactly Like it's very yeah. like, like he, he like addresses it and like dabbles with it and then mm-hmm. he's just like, but okay. And it's then just like, yeah. yeah. Like he has that bit that he did about healthcare and how he's like, I've never felt an audience turn on me so quickly. And then he just moves on. Like, yeah. That's, it, and it's hilarious. It's so funny. I love a comedian who addresses the fact that a joke has not landed. Yes. Like, that's so funny yeah. to me. Um, I feel like he kind of, for me, I do kind of connect him with Julio Torres as well. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like they're not doing the same things in, like, what they talk about. Yeah. But it's, like, the energy that they have where they're both, like, representing different like like communities and like different like voices you know Mm -hmm, Julio Torres like with like Los Spookies and stuff like that's a show that is like about Mexican culture Mm -hmm. you know it's about like paranoia and like the like spirits and all this stuff that is like very critical to like Dia de los Muertos and like it's, oh my god, it's Halloween, guys. Oh my god, it's Halloween. I totally forgot. 
I'm so just subconsciously in tune. God, I'm so yeah. smart. Your mind. Uh, my mind. <laughs> what did you text me the other day? Galaxy brain? Galaxy, Galaxy brain. brain. This is a new thing that I learned about <laughs> recently. It's amazing. It's so applicable. I, I mean, I've known about the meme, yeah. but I didn't know that we could now just say Galaxy, Galaxy brain. brain. And <laughs> Language is constantly evolving. We're always developing as a culture, as a society. <laughs> this is what my... Um, tuition is going towards. <laughs> we do live in a society, and I think it's important to say that. Yeah, but I do. <laughs> back to my point. <laughs> Whatever it was, is that like Julio Torres? Like he can do this very culturally specific type of comedy. Yeah, and it still has attracted so many people. It's a show on HBO. Mm-hmm. Like he's create. He's like has a huge fan base now, and the fact that he can so effortlessly be like sorry like this is my like community I am Latinx like I am queer also like I'm funny yeah and it's just like people could kind of it's like absolve some of these boundaries that like people have sometimes where I feel like they have to like listen to artists or comedians or actors that like apply to them yeah and now it's more like people are like I can enjoy this and not be in the like culture that it is a part of Mm -hmm. or like I can under listen to this commentary and appreciate it without understanding and like empathizing with it. I can yeah. still sympathize with it. Yeah. And like I think that's really interesting. Also his special, My Favorite Shapes. I know. What the heck? So funny. That's like, the thing about Julio Torres and I just I like the first time I was ever exposed to him, I don't even he was doing stand up on a late night show, I don't remember which one. And I just saw him come out and he had this just rampant nervous energy about mm-hmm. him like I, I and I was like what it, he, what like yeah. it was just very confusing to me and then he did his stand-up and I was like this is the funniest person I've ever yeah. <laughs> because I think similarly with Jabuki they both have their fingers on a like a very specific pulse and I guess you could even say impulse of comedy right now which is like interacting with that really weird niche we were talking about galaxy brain like meme culture (laughs) this like really rapidly changing environment is being kind of like channeled through figures like these two like young people who are like you mentioned like kind of voices for what the landscape of comedy is becoming and what it is like right now and how rapidly it's evolving yeah, Julio Torres <laughs> my favorite shapes. It's just so, it's absurd. It's iconic. I love it. I love yeah. that. I love the bit. It's I fantastic. think you can sit through it the whole time and just not really know what you're watching and yes. not really know what's happening or where it's going. And then all of a sudden it's done. And you're like, oh, that was perfect. Yes. That was brilliant. Because it's like, it's not trying to be anything more than what it is. Yeah. He came out, he was like, I'm literally going to have a conveyor belt and I'm going to talk about my favorite shapes. <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole bit. Yeah. Like, the and it's a special. And it's amazing because yeah. it's like he doesn't stray from the formula that he creates. He like is very clear that this is like who he is, the kind of weird person <laughs> that would like have shapes and like have a journal where he's like this is what's funny about this shape and like that like I so appreciate that because yeah. it's like takes so little thought to enjoy that like 
It is, but it also, but like, at the same the time, that went into it. It's really clever. It's very it's, methodical. Yeah. yeah, like, it's accessible, but it's so witty that yeah. it's, yeah. like, you're, oh, it's genius. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Another thing that I appreciate about comedians that, like, and who, like, lean into meme culture, not just, like, leaning into, like, the confusion of the audience or the even the accessibility of, like, the audience um, to the material is, like, people who are not afraid to alienate their audiences. Yes. Like, speaking of, like, cultural specificity, I feel like, um, I feel like Rami Youssef is a great example of a comedian that, like, knows how to be culturally specific. He's Egyptian-American, and he is able to, like, discuss his experience of being Muslim in America and, like, elaborate on really specific cultural nuances and cultural experiences in a way that, like, occasionally he'll lean into the fact that his audience is uncomfortable or lean into the fact that he's saying something that most people will not understand. But he's not afraid of, like, staying in that space he's not afraid of like being in that place of like yeah this is a really specific reference or a really specific joke and that's okay and it's hilarious and the fact that he's like willing to go there um i know a couple of us are like fans of his show that was on hulu this year um which was received so well yeah it was great and and he sort of does the same thing in like his stand-up as well but the fact that he's not afraid to just be culturally specific occasionally alienate alienate his audiences with a purpose Mm -hmm. I think is something that like I love about his stand-up specifically and I always think that he found like specifically with his stand-up special he finds his way back to the universal unifying themes that got that were like the entry point of the joke yeah which is like what you're saying is like he's not afraid to stay within that space of like yeah un what's the word not uncomfortability that's not even a word but just the space of like knowing yeah full fact that a large part of the audience is not going to understand what he's talking about and then just trucking through it regardless to get to the thing that people will like that the payoff yeah and i think that's really masterful I think that's why he's getting a lot of attention. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to see him keep putting out stuff like he did this year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel like he's really, like, burgeoned onto the scene in, mm-hmm. like, a real, like, interesting way. I want to correct myself because I said that I think Los Spookies is, like, about Mexican culture, mm-hmm. and I stand by that, but I wanted to make it clear that Julio Torres is El Salvadorian. Yeah. So he is not Mexican, but as a Mexican person, I identified with the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back to the point, I just want to make sure that was established. But um, I feel like for Rami, like I mostly know him from the show, Mm -hmm. um, which like I watched in an entire day and I was like obsessed with. I thought it was so good. And I think that we kind of talked about this for those who can't see (laughs) me and Anika. (laughs) Um, kind of talked about, like, the idea of comedy becoming more culturally specific, like, Mm -hmm. and this, like, what you were saying, like, this isolation that is, like, okay and, like, honestly important. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that the show itself also does that where it, like, invokes a lot of, like, sympathy and understanding in a very, like, funny but, Mm -hmm. like, never, like, too funny way like he doesn't overstep to be like everything's okay and everything's fine and we can laugh about everything all the time always yeah but he makes the space to where it's like you can laugh at ridiculous situations that we 
objectively no shouldn't be situations Mm -hmm. and like I feel like that being able to like address those two things at once while not like while not making it so like dark that you can't watch it like Mm -hmm. it's still like people will watch it because it's funny Mm -hmm. but they will learn something because it's not ignoring like realities that come from a culture that we don't understand that we're not a part of and I think that's like Rami and like even all these other people we've talked about have like kind of done stuff like that that's really interesting Mm -hmm. and I think it's also taking that perspective of you know being someone who is not white being a non-white person being someone who is a marginalized person and leveraging that into your comedy is really important. I think that Mm. I think about this a lot because with like people like Hannah Gatsby, Gatsby, Mm -hmm. her special was like incredibly therapeutic for so many people because it was like, I think a lot of the time, like comedians lean into self-deprecation. Like that's something that I think is universally held, but kind of watching her excavate those feelings like excavate those really toxic internalized approaches to identity mm-hmm. as a marginalized person like as a queer person as a queer woman was just another example of this where we're getting these incredibly nuanced approaches to comedy that we haven't really seen in again in recent memory we're all fairly young um which i just i just appreciate so much and one of the things though specifically is she talks a lot about like the necessity for tension like comedy as tension and how that the release is the joke and that I think applies a lot to what you were talking about with Rami and like how he very much has a command of those dynamics and then is using all of the things specific to himself to inform the way that he approaches the relationship that comedy has to tension Mm -hmm. and I think that is just again masterful and these aren't the only people that are doing it yeah you then you have people like Hasan Minhaj who people who have been around for a while yeah but then they're kind of learning the ways I think and I think have been influenced by a lot of the newer comedians to sort of shape their own comedy their own experiences Mm -hmm. yeah 100% yeah. yeah, I think there's something to be said for the fact that, like, I think some of the comedians who have been around for a while are starting to kind of realize that it's okay to address a lot of the things that we've talked about, like culture and, like, ethnicity and mm-hmm. gender, like, and sexuality in their comedy in a way that's, like, more honest. Yeah, I think that the fact that newcomers are starting to do that without, like, fear has kind of informed some of, like, the comedians that have been around to start to be more honest in their comedy and to kind of go away from the, like, strictly for the laughs, like, sets and be more, like, balanced in this, like, funny but, like, aware dynamic. I feel like Aziz Ansari's, like, latest special was kind of like that, where, like, many of his other specials haven't been so, like... Personal. Personal and vulnerable. And, like, even the, like, cinematography of Mm -hmm. that, like, having, like, it so close and, like, with you handheld, it just made it very, like... 
it, it kind of broke it down. It, yeah. it broke the fourth wall. It was a conversation. It yeah. felt rather than just like, I'm here and I'm going to tell you jokes and you're going to laugh and then we're going to go be be somewhere else you know the thing about Aziz is special that like it simultaneously blew me away and also I left feeling relatively disappointed in it because I felt like I expected more from him just because I think that he's capable of more honestly I'm someone who's like who's been a fan of him for a really long time and I think like when the special came out like it was a very like this is clearly something that's going to be personal I mean it's like Directed by, it was directed by Spike Jones, mm-hmm. who, like, literally, like, has done a lot of dramas, a lot of, like, personal films, and this was directed in a way that was, like, showcasing the comedian as, like, this individual actor in this room and, like, getting into his psyche, honestly, for, for lack of a better word. Um, but I think he he addresses all of the controversy surrounding him and like his place in the me too movement and the me too movement at large in the comedy special but i think like it's interesting to see his career transition cuz his initial stand up prior to master of none was very point blank comedy it was very like straightforward telling jokes the airplane food type jokes i think yeah. like that's what he yeah. did then master of none happened which i think was just like such like a very clear I am an artist that's capable of doing so much in comedy. And then his special, his most recent special called Right Now was clearly something that like drew from that, like drew dramatic elements, drew like elements of honesty, being personal and didn't revert to the airplane food brand of comedy, but still kind of fell short of like what a lot of other comedians are doing and in I, their like personal I think this display. is like a really interesting thing too because it kind of taps onto what we said at the beginning which is like that stand-up comedians have now found their place in film and tv mm-hmm. a lot more without abandoning the fact that they're stand-up comedians, comedians. like right. before that I feel like it was like Steve Martin and Martin Short and all these people who were stand-up comedians first yeah but then went into movies and television and didn't look back mm-hmm. and yeah. they like are just now re like finding that like I know Steve Martin yeah. and Martin Short did a special recently but yeah. I feel like right now stand-up comedians are doing these things in tandem yeah. it's not like gonna take 40 years to see someone who is now on tv do another stand-up special yeah. and I feel like, like Ellen like Ellen, Ellen exactly yeah. Eddie Murphy's coming back yeah. like later yeah and I feel like there's like a reboot of this but with Aziz Ansari I feel like he did this thing where he was on Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. and he was Tom Haverford, mm-hmm. and his stand-up kind of also read like Tom Haverford. Right. Like, it was different because it was not a character. It was him. It was less like, I'm bougie and stuff, yeah. and it, but the tone, tonally, it was the same. Yeah. And then he did Master of None, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is kind of him being like, I'm not Tom Haverford. Right. Like, yeah. stop thinking that. Yeah. I am, like... And I can't... I can imagine that that's probably a frustrating thing to experience yeah. as an artist, being like... like roped into this one Mm -hmm. image because you played it so well like that was such a fantastic character Mm -hmm. and it like kind of like had a huge amount of like fan following and stuff and now it's like I can imagine that he wants to get away from that Mm -hmm. and I feel like this was probably the appropriate time after Master of None you know after this controversy where he could be like okay let me get personal let me show people that I'm what type of person I am not just what character I can portray yeah 
but yeah. But where do you, so my inter- my interaction with Aziz, based on how quiet I've been through this part of this talk, <laughs> um, is very little because I was very much like, after everything happened and mm-hmm. I honestly don't know where that landed. Yeah. So like how does this comedy special that he's most recently come out with interact with the controversy? He addresses it. He apologizes. He, he addresses right off the it bat. right yeah, right at the top of the special. Yeah. And he kind of readdresses it at the end. Um and I don't think he like asks for forgiveness mm-hmm. really, which is like an like I appreciated. Mm-hmm. I I don't really know what to say about the controversy itself. The Daily Cal actually did publish something that I feel like was my thoughts, which Mm -hmm. was that it was not akin to some of the other scandals that had come out, Mm -hmm. but it brought on a a larger conversation about how consent is not just like saying no, but saying yes. Yeah. Like, and I think that was the issue... And I think that he handled it in the best way he could. Yeah. I, I It's the first time I've seen someone respond to, like, a Me Too, like, Head on. accusation yeah. mm-hmm. in a way that I, I didn't feel like that's not enough. Yeah. Right. Like, it was, and, he admitted to everything. Like, he was, I think so many other people who have, like, been subject to accusations in this or allegations like in the controversy if they have come out with an apology it's always on the defensive Mm -hmm. and he's not someone that was on the defensive at all like during the special yeah I don't think he expects to be like for this to be forgotten either he's I don't think he's trying to move past it Mm -hmm. as much as move forward Mm -hmm. and I think that it's it does bring on that question of like what do we do with all these people like and their art that they create Mm -hmm. like do we stop do we keep going like is there a way and I feel like this I I wouldn't put him in the same field as like Louis C.K. yes because it was like it was not it was like tech I don't know it was just the whole the the issue that happened was like a different situation completely but I think his response to it was something that I can like appreciate um and still not be like you're in the clear, you yeah, know? Yeah. But as much as, like, okay, well, let's try and, like, progress past yeah. this. Yeah. Um, Which I think is interesting, and I think it brings up an interesting discussion about letting comedians exist outside of their comedy. Because, like you mentioned, like, this special is kind of trying to let him escape from the confines that his, like, iconic work has put him in, whilst also addressing, like, the real world, Aziz Ansari, that had faced a lot of controversy... And then the nature of cancel culture and how that's situated in comedy, which is really complex because comedy so often interacts with more problematic things, or at least some comedians attempt to do it in a way that's nuanced and a lot of them don't succeed. Um, And so kind of to have him come back from it is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that he'll have, like, do you think that it was received well? I think it was. I think it was received as well as it could be. Yeah. I mean, I know I heard, like, some people who, like, didn't like it, but it wasn't because of anything other than he, yeah. he's just, and you're right, like, when Annika says, like, that it was a little bit disappointing, it was in a sense because it was also, like, well, if we're moving on, then I want to see Aziz Ansari be funny you know and it wasn't like the funniest special but I also feel like that it's appropriate that it wasn't like 
The things, his, the thing yeah. that like appealed to me the most about that special were the moments when he was darkest. I think. Yeah. Like, were the moments when he was like not afraid to get personal. But I think the comedy that in turn, like the actual parts where he was trying to be really lighthearted, it was hard to... It was suffered. I think like there are some comedians, like we mentioned Hannah Gatsby. Mm-hmm. I think even Hassan does this in a stand-up special yeah. where he's able to bridge the personal, the dark moments with like the more lighthearted moments. Yeah. I don't know if Aziz has found a grasp on the on bridging those I yet. think it was... And I think a lot of it was because the dark moments were so... You know, so dark. like so, so dark. dark. They yeah. were at the level, the mo- one of the more extreme yeah. situations mm-hmm. that you can have to talk about. Mm-hmm. That it was like when he then turned to comedy, it was like it didn't feel yeah. like this was the space for it. Which makes. But sense. that being said, like the dark parts of it, the parts where he was being like really vulnerable, were like worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Like parts. It's also that like the difference I think between Gatsby and Aziz, aside from the fact of the nature of his yeah. dark moments, right is that the dark moments in his special don't make him sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Whereas the dark moments in Gatsby's specials make her incredibly sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that it would be, that he would have struggled to kind of mitigate that difference. But all of that is to say that comedy is a lot more nuanced than it's often given credit for because mm-hmm. we're seeing it as the site of a lot of really important work being done, a lot of discussions being started. Um, like with Aziz Ansari and like where to go from here or like with Hannah Gatsby kind of critiquing the nature of what comedy is and what it's mm-hmm. supposed to do both for the comedian and for the audience. Um, and I think, frankly, that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that that's like a really interesting thing. I think it's nice to see a lot of people like doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that stand-up comedy is a really cool venue, a really cool forum for people to put forth some of our most important messages in a way that's, like, completely personal but gets the point across oftentimes better than a lot of other mediums in art today. And so I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, if you think about stand-up comedy and, like, what it is, it's literally a stage and someone's standing on top of it telling you what they think about, like, the world around them. And I don't think that... Like, there's something to be said for the Ali Wongs and Tig Taros and, like, John Mulaney's of the world who have comedy that's very, like, classic mm-hmm. and hits really funny because people still want that. But I think there's also something to be really appreciated about the people who are kind of disrupting that formula and mm-hmm. saying, that's great, and you guys can keep doing that, but we're going to do something completely different that, like is based on culture, it's based on, like, personal experience, and it's based off being vulnerable. Yeah. Agreed. Well then, ladies, I think we have a discussion to have at this point in the pod. If you can't tell, Ariana's folding her hands together (laughs) in a very, it's sit down, have a seat, close the door kind of way. (laughs) I'm trying to be very firm. Yes. Anika, you've said some really important things over the course of this podcast. (laughs) I think you've made some really incredible points. And for those of you who aren't aware, which is all of you, because I didn't mention this, Anika, our guest, is being and has been scored on a standard that is probably just, frankly, too galaxy brain for me to understand. (laughs) But it is now the time of the podcast where me and Maisie will give our respective scores to Anika to decide once and for all if... Anika is a P in this pod. What uh, is the what is the on a scale of like zero to 
I don't know. I need to... you to stop talking because you're asking the wrong questions and it you're is right. affecting your score. Okay, you're right. You're right. Honestly, you just <laughs> lost three so bread many. emojis right there. Like three whole bread emojis. I and... was going to say on a scale of like zero to the man in suit levitating emoji, mm. where is the scale? Okay. That's actually... That's an excellent question. Maybe right. I think you honestly got all those bread emojis back and maybe two more. Yeah, maybe two more. I also think I want to add four refrigerator magnets to your score because I think it's worth it. All in all, my score, Franega, on this pod is the first half of the emoji selection on iPhones and three and a half stars out of two stars. I think that's great. Yeah. I think I'm going to give her six dried mango peels um, and then two bread emojis and a whole bucket of Parmesan cheese. I can live with that. I think that means that, Anika, you're in the pod. Yeah. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Honestly, it's (laughs) great. I think, honestly, maybe Ariane and I didn't end up in the pod this episode. Yeah, I think we did. I think, I, I think we did. Anika got in there. From the but pod. both of us I'm kind of you all we out. went to opposite sides of the pod. We did. The pod's to a little quiet. bit bursting at the seams. We're going to fix it by the time next week. Rolls by the time yes. we come back. Yeah, it's we welding. Do, we do weld our pod back together. When we weld our pod back together to come back to you all with some interesting words on one Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. That took a second. It did, but we got there. out that we were going to say it at the same time. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We I'm know so that you can't live without our beautiful voices and everything we have to say. Yeah. Annika, thank you so much for joining us thank this week. Thank you for having us. It was an honor to have you in our pod. An honor and a privilege. And until next week. Sayonara. Sayonara.